Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Speaking to his flock in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, we join Archbishop Alexander Sample as he reflects upon our faith, culture, and life in the church on The Voice of the Shepherd. Joining Archbishop Sample is your host, Dina Marie Hale. And now, The Voice of the Shepherd. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Voice of the Shepherd. I'm Dina Marie Hale, your host, and with me in studio is Archbishop Alexander Sample. And in today's program, we are going to discuss the guardians of the traditions and discuss a little bit about the latest motu proprio that has been written by Pope Francis. And so as we get started, let us begin, Archbishop, please, in prayer. Yes, indeed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, for you are the source of unity and love within the church. Holy Spirit of God, we need that unity and sense of, of closeness and love and charity and mercy for one another now more than ever in our world, in our times. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to be with us during this broadcast, to be with us, Dina Marie and myself, but also to anoint the ears and the hearts and the minds of our listeners, that they will be touched by that call to unity and peace and love and mercy in the church. All this we ask in the name of Jesus, who is Lord forever and ever. Amen. Holy Mary, our hope, seat of wisdom. Pray for us. St. Joseph. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I love that title that you use, Archbishop, Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom. Yes. And as we discuss these issues of our faith and really pondering, you know, God's law of love in our lives, we really do need to ask Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom. Yeah, the Sede Sapientiae, the Seat of Wisdom, because she is Christ, uh, the Eternal Son of God, is is the incarnate wisdom of God, uh, and uh, so she is she is she is the seat of wisdom. Christ literally uh, often is depicted as sitting mm-hmm. on the lap of Mary, and that image of of our our, our the seat of wisdom is uh, is is our, our blessed mother. Absolutely. So I, I just pray that she guides us as Absolutely. we continue <laughs> in this conversation. Now, on a Friday, July 16th, I think much of the Catholic world was just wondering, uh, there was a release of a motu proprio or an apostolic letter from Pope Francis, uh, which is referring to the Roman liturgy prior to the reform of 1970 by uh, Pope Francis Tradiciones Custodes. You will say it much right, better than I. Pretty close. <laughs> the, uh, the guardians of our tradition. Right. And so maybe, first of all, what is a motu proprio, an apostolic letter? Some of these different documents that the Holy Father can write, they have different ways in which we read them and look at And understand them, absolutely, absolutely. The the Holy Father, Pope Francis, issued two documents uh, on that Friday. He issued the motu proprios of it. It's it's called an apostolic letter issued motu proprio. What What it means is a motu proprio is the Holy Father is making legislation. He is making law for the church. Uh, he does that in, in by means of a motu proprio. So there are many times, you know, we have the Code of Canon Law of the church, but the Code of Canon Law doesn't always cover all contingencies in the life of the church, and circumstances change, new challenges come up. Uh, there's certain things in the Code of Canon Law that need to be amplified, if you will, and expanded upon. 
so oftentimes legislation is handled outside the code. The code of canon law isn't changed so much, although the Pope did just change the whole book on penal process, which is pretty radical change. But he issues then this sort of um, ancillary, if you will, legislation in the church, almost like executive orders. Uh, you, you might even look at them in, in our in our American parlance. Mm-hmm. But he also issued a letter to the bishops of the, of the world uh, to accompany his numero proprio uh, regarding the regulation of the um, of the of the divine liturgy, the sacred liturgy of the church, according to the uh, uh, the missal of of John the twenty third in nineteen sixty two. And I think when we hear about something like this, a letter being written, I always have to remind myself, universal church, because I think sometimes my mind is focused on the church here in the United States or America, but we're talking about the universal right. church the whole, that this, this, this letter is, this is for the whole affects church. the whole church. What does this letter say? And, and, and I know it's still hard to figure out all of the different elements mm-hmm. because it does relate to canon law. There's a lot of a lot of details. Right, right. Well, you know, basically, uh, to, to bottom line it, if you will, <clears throat> the Holy Father, Pope Francis, has uh, rescinded uh, all of the prior legislation that was issued by both uh, Pope St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI, now Pope Emeritus. He has rescinded all of the previous legislation regarding <clears throat> what Pope Benedict XVI uh, referred to as the extraordinary form of the Roman liturgy, uh, basically the missal prior to the reform uh, of the Second Vatican Council. So uh, Saint, uh, Pope St. John Paul II had already, through the uh, Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei, allowed for uh, the celebration of the liturgy according to the norms prior to the reform of the Second Vatican Council through an indult. What Pope Benedict the Sixteenth did was expand that and make the uh, availability and the ease of of celebrating, getting permission or not getting not needing permission mm-hmm. to celebrate the Mass according to the 1962 Missal. He expanded that greatly through his motu proprio, which which he issued as a motu proprio, Samorum Pontificum, uh, over 13 years ago now in 2008. So Pope. Benedict XVI opened up uh, for greater access, a greater ease to have permission to celebrate the, the, the liturgy according to the more traditional form. It's often referred to in the community that, that is attached to this uh, Mass as the traditional Latin Mass. The Pope, uh, Pope Francis, has basically rescinded all of that and issued his own legislation uh, regarding the celebration of the liturgy according to the liturgical books prior to the reform of, of uh, the Second Vatican Council, and places in uh, into force now new restrictions on the celebration of the Mass according to, to the previous form. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it came as quite a shock, mm-hmm. I, I must say. Uh, it, it, it seemed to have come... There had been rumors, and uh, in, in you know, there's always rumors in the church. There had been rumors that the Holy Father was going to be coming out with a document that was going to modify the provisions that had been put in place by Pope Benedict XVI. And primarily what I think we were anticipating was more of a shift of vigilance over this to the local bishop, where um, maybe some of the broad and free-ranging permissions that were given according to Pope Benedict's uh, motu proprio, so morum pontificum, would be you know tightened up a little bit, 
and that the bishop was going to have more say in who uh, and where the, the celebration could take place. But I think uh, most of us who have seen this experience it as going far beyond anything that, that we had anticipated. I must say, you know, I was expecting something was going to come, uh, but I, I quite honestly didn't think it was going to be this far-reaching and this uh, um, dramatic, uh, as, you, as you might say, of a, a, a tightening up on, on the celebration of the, of the liturgy uh, according to the liturgical books prior mm-hmm. to, to the Second Vatican Council. Well, Archbishop, when were you first introduced to this more traditional Latin Mass? Uh, growing up as a child, in your formation as a seminarian, where did you really yeah. get a great exposure uh, that's, to that's this a, particular that's a, that's a form? That's a good question. Um, you know, I, 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 was bo- I was baptized under the old ritual. I was born mm-hmm. in 1960. But my first, and I have, you know, like, I think I have one or two visual images in my mind as a small child of, of being at Mass in the older form. But, you know, my, my enterg- entire uh, formation, catechetical and liturgical formation, was, was post-conciliar after right. the Second Vatican Council. I mean, I, I reached the age of reason. I guess if it's supposed to happen around seven in 1967, all of my recollection of the sacred liturgy, I have some vague recollections of the liturgy between the Second Vatican Council and before the Missal of Paul VI was finally promulgated, the, the full reform of the liturgy. There was this interim time when there had been some liturgical uh, um, ad- uh, adaptations made, particularly with the use of the vernacular in the, in the liturgy, the, 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 the English for us in the United States, uh, for most of us. But uh, primarily, my experience of the sacred liturgy was the Missal of Paul VI, the, the Mass as it was reformed after the Second Vatican Council, and my entire you know, catechetical formation as a, as a young mm-hmm. student growing up, all through my high school years, into my college years, uh, was really uh, according to that liturgical tradition of, of the Second Vatican Council. When I was a college student, I began to, just through reading and, and things I would pick up here and there, uh, I, was, I would become more and more f- familiarized with the, the liturgical tradition of the church prior to the Second Vatican Council, quite honestly, starting looking at my parents' old hand missiles, uh, you know, which, which they had when they would bring them to Mass. And I, they, kept, they still had them, and I, I got curious about them and started looking through them and, and kind of seeing how different the Mass mm-hmm. was prior to the, the, the form that I grew up with, so to speak. And I was intrigued by that. I was interested in that. Uh, I did some further reading on it. I even had a video. I remember I ordered a video. Gosh, this was back in the, <laughs> this was back even right around probably around 1980 or so, and it was an, it was an, it was a video VHS. Remember those? Mm-hmm. Uh, of a very old recording of a mass celebrated. I think it was in the 1930s, narrated by the Right Reverend Monsignor Fulton Sheen. Wow, a <laughs> uh, black and white kind of scratchy uh, video or movie of the traditional Latin Mass celebrated in a very solemn way, a high mass, we might call it a sung a solemn high mass with the choir actually of Mundelein Seminary for I believe it was I believe it was Easter Sunday, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I, I'm pretty sure it was. Anyway, it was it I was I was very taken with it. Yeah. It was, I was kind of enraptured by the beauty of it and the solemnity of it. Uh, it was really visually and, and audibly uh, stunning. But, you know, I, I just basically, as a, as a young college student, I figured, well, okay, that's the liturgical past, and that's what it is, and and didn't ever imagine that I would experience it personally. Um, you know, that was not, you know, the, the direction clearly that, that in my mind things had gone. 
and and I became a priest, and um, you know I always celebrated according to the Missal of Paul the Six and the new form of the liturgy, and and you know it always I, there was always I guess a little bit of a a sadness in me that that I you know I would never experience the more traditional liturgy that my parents grew up with, that my grandparents grew up with, uh, that nurtured their faith and the the faith of the saints over the centuries. Uh, uh, but you know that was that was life in the church. Well, then I became a bishop and you know continued along that same path. And then in 2008, just a couple of years after I was ordained a bishop, the Holy Father Pope Benedict XVI issued the motu proprio. Uh, Summorum Pontificum, which allowed for a freer use of the uh, uh, the former uh, form of the liturgy, the traditional Latin Mass, and I was I had a group in my previous diocese in Marquette that was requesting this according to the provisions of the motu proprio, and I thought, okay, look, I'm a bishop of the uh, uh, Roman Rite of the Catholic Church. Now the Holy Father has told us there are two forms of that Roman rite, mm-hmm. the ordinary form, which is the Missal of Paul VI that I grew up with. But there's this extraordinary form, mm-hmm. and extraordinary not in in the sense of this is, you know, the other one's right. just kind of plain no. and ordinary. This is the extraordinary one. No, it meant out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. In other words, the ordinary way we would celebrate Mass, the, the, the common way we would celebrate the Mass is according to the ordinary form of Paul mm-hmm. VI, and as later revised by John Paul II. But the extraordinary form for under extraordinary use would be the missal prior to the council. And I figured, well, I'm a bishop of, of the church. I have to tend to both flocks, so to speak, or not both flocks. It's one flock, but people of different sensibilities and spiritualities. So I figured I better learn this mass. So I taught myself. Mm. I literally mm-hmm. from books, <laughs> videos. There's some great videos, tools, teaching yeah. tools out there. I learned the mass myself and, and taught myself and I uh, was immediately taken with it, I must say, and, and it, it filled in a lot of gaps for me theologically, liturgically, historically. And I think that's really part of the reason, well, he, his expressed reason for issuing the motu proprio, Summorum Pontificum of, of Benedict XVI, was to allow for the church to reconcile with her liturgical past and for there be some mutual enrichment between the older rite and the newer rite. So I learned it, and mm-hmm. and then... And since learning it, have I was the first to celebrate it, in fact, in my previous diocese. And when we instituted the traditional Latin Mass, the extraordinary form at our, my cathedral in Marquette, I wanted to be the first to celebrate it because I didn't want it to be seen as something weird or on the fringes. Uh, I wanted to be in the normal, integrated into the normal life of the church, and I thought the best way to signal that would be for me as the bishop to be the first to celebrate it in my cathedral church. And since then, I've celebrated in many times, and in, in, I've done ordinations in, in the old right. rite. I've done a marriage in the old rite. I've done baptisms in the old rite. Uh, I've done confirmation in the old rite. Uh, I celebrated the extraordinary form, the traditional Latin Mass at St. Peter's Basilica, the altar of the chair during the Samorum Pontificum pilgrimage some years ago. I celebrated a solemn mass at the Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. So it's it's well known uh, in, in churchy circles, if you will, that I have a great sympathy toward the uh, traditional Latin mass and and for the, uh, the the faithful who are who are profoundly devoted to it. For those who maybe haven't experienced that extraordinary form of the mass, and there's so many 
the gestures, the language, but maybe just a few things that if you, if I was going to come for the very first time to experience this mass, what might be some things that I would say, wow, that is very different in what I hear, <laughs> what I see, what I maybe experience in the mass? Yeah, I, you know, I always tell people, I mean, there are many people when they, when they have their first experience of the traditional Latin mass or the Pope Benedict called the the extraordinary form. The Holy Father, Pope Francis, seems to uh, uh, set aside that kind of language of talking about the extraordinary form. So we just talk about the Missal mm-hmm. of of 1962. The I think you know I, I tell people you know some people are immediately drawn to it. Some people experience it and there's just it, it immediately clicks for them, and they they find a great attraction to it and a great solace in it and a great spiritual nourishment in it. Others, uh, and it probably maybe a more common experience for me would when the first time they experience it is, wow, this is really different, and I'm not sure I like this. You know, so some of the things you'd see immediately is that the priest, during the celebration of the traditional Latin Mass, faces east, mm-hmm. or at least liturgical east, if the church is not oriented facing the east, which means that, that he's facing the altar during the celebration of the Mass. Now, often you'll hear people say, well, I, I, the priest had his back to me. He turned his back on me. Well, that wasn't the idea at all, uh, and the church never understood it as the, the priest having his back to the people. It was that the priest was joining the common posture of all the faithful who are facing the altar in an act of divine worship. Because the, the Mass is directed as an act of worship to Almighty mm-hmm. God, and the whole Mass is offered to God. And we, especially when we get into the Eucharistic prayer, uh, here is a prayer offered to the Father, because we're offering the, the sacrifice of His Son Jesus present in the Eucharistic sacrifice to the Father. So it's, it's the priest offering, but the people offering also uh, through the ministry of priests, and we're all facing God. We're all facing yes. the altar. We're all directing our worship to God, not to each other. In other words, I heard a joke once that somebody came into them after such a mass experience and said, I didn't like that, Father. You, you turned your back on me at a certain point in the mass. And the priest said, well, at that point, I wasn't speaking to you. Mm-hmm. you know, in other words, in the reform of the liturgy, according to Vatican II, the liturgy of the word is directed toward the people. You know, The readings are, are proclaimed mm-hmm. toward the people. The homily is, is directed, of course, toward the people, as it was in the old form, too. But in other words, the liturgy of the word is God speaks to us. Uh, and so it's directed toward the people. But even in the, even in the ordinary form, even in the Missal of Paul VI, and if you read carefully the rubrics of the new Missal, actually it presumes that the priest is facing east uh, and the altar at certain points in the Mass, especially during the Eucharistic prayer. So when it, when it comes time to, to offer the Eucharistic sacrifice, now priest and people all face the same direction, offering divine worship to God. In other words, we're not just gathered around a table sharing a meal, we're offering a divine sacrifice to God in, in the Eucharist. So that's one of the things you first would notice is that the priest is, is facing the altar throughout the, the liturgy, except during the homily. Uh, of course, the Latin language, uh, although the readings are often proclaimed in English. In a low mass, they can be, without music, a low mass, they can be proclaimed in English immediately. But normally what happens is the readings are done in Latin, and then at the be- before the homily is given, they're repeated in, in English, so the people have, have them. So that's one of it. Uh, the music uh, is is very different from uh, you know what you would experience in a in a typical parish uh, liturgy. Uh, often you'll hear Gregorian chant. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll hear um, some sacred polyphony, uh, which is can be beautiful palestrina and and the like. You'll you'll notice the 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 gestures are much more rich. 
and and I guess you might even say ritualized. It, there's much more ritual. I mean, there's the rubrics for the priests to follow are very detailed and very uh, elaborate in terms of the, the making the sign of the cross, how he holds his hands, where he stands mm-hmm. at the altar, etc. It's very precise. It's very, uh, I, I you know, and at first it was, I must say for myself, it was a little overwhelming and, and a little distracting, quite honestly, to remember, okay, now where is my hand supposed to be now? But once you become familiar with it, once it becomes, I mean, I can I can slip into and, and, and celebrate an extraordinary form mass as easily as I can celebrate an ordinary form mass now, and, and I the gestures become come natural to me. And once you once you get in the groove, mm-hmm. I like to say, there's something very beautiful and very prayerful about the ritual gestures that the priest experiences during during the mass. So you know, I I have a, a great appreciation for it, and I, I do want to. To speak, uh, you know, because I'm already I, I've been on out of town on some took a little vacation time, and when I got back, you know, I have quite a number of letters on my desk from people who are very concerned about this and and um, worried, you know, that that something that has become very dear to them mm-hmm. uh, is is going to be taken away from them. You know, this isn't just a nostalgia thing for people who have memories of the previous liturgy who would who would be much older than me, quite honestly. And, uh, you know, so that's sort of a nostalgic attachment. You know, most of the people now, uh, when I am at a, a traditional Latin mass, an extraordinary form mass, a mass according to the Missal of, of 62, it's mostly young people, or certainly people much younger than me, and sometimes young families. And, and so there's something in the liturgy that is very attractive to these people, that they find great solace and spiritual comfort uh, and, and, and consolation and, and, and grace and strength and, and help. So I, I, I want to just speak a word that, yes, we have a new law uh, that the Holy Father has issued, and yes, it's true to say that the intent of this is, is to be more restrictive in the uh, celebration of the Missal according to uh, the preconciliar liturgy. But within the law, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a faithful, obedient son of the church, and I have a promise of obedience uh, to, to the Pope, to the Holy Father, uh, just as priests, deacons make their promise of obedience and respect to me as the local bishop. I have a, a promise of respect and obedience to the Holy Father, which I intend to observe and will always observe. But within the law, <laughs> within <laughs> what this law allows, I will be as absolutely generous and merciful uh, and solicitous toward those folks in the Archdiocese of Portland who are attached to, uh, spiritually attached, and find great comfort in, in this uh, more traditional form of the liturgy, the traditional Latin Mass. So within the law, and there's some things I can dispense with in, in the law, the, the canon law. Uh, you know, don't forget I'm a canon lawyer. <clears throat> so there's provisions in canon law that the bishop can dispense from certain uh, universal laws of the church, not all. He can't, uh, for example, he cannot dispense from procedural laws because procedural laws are generally intended to protect the rights of people, especially those who are, are, are could be a defendant in, a, in, a, in, a, in an action in the church. But within, uh, but the but the, the 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 law of the church does allow a bishop to dispense from certain aspects of universal law uh, if he sees it beneficial spiritually and pastorally to to the people entrusted to his pastoral care. And I, 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 so I intend to do that. I mm-hmm. intend to be as generous and, and merciful as the law will allow me to be uh, in this regard. And, and I hope not. I hope there wouldn't be much change actually 
in, in, in the way we are experiencing this right now in the Archdiocese of Portland. But one of the things that, that the Holy Father gives as motivation for his motive appropriate, because somebody might ask, well, well, why is he doing this? Mm-hmm. The Holy Father has, has it in his mind that this new or this, this older form of the liturgy that has been newly unleashed in the church has become a source of great division in the church and has created a spirit of division and that people who are attached to the traditional Latin Mass, who find it uh, spiritually nourishing and, and enriching, um, you know, reject Vatican II, uh, reject the reform of the sacred liturgy, even reject the magisterium of the Church. Um, so so he, the Holy Father seems to have it in his mind, and as he, as he explains in his accompanying letter, so I'm not putting words in the Holy Father's mouth, these are his own words, that he, he thinks it's become very divisive. And apparently he's heard from some bishops who have, who have portrayed it to him as, as such. That's not been my experience. Mm-hmm. That's not been my experience. The people that I have encountered who are deeply attached to this form of the liturgy are, are faithful Catholics who want to be in communion with the Holy Father, with the Pope. Otherwise, they, they could join some of the groups that are, that are not in, in full union and communion with the Pope that, that have this liturgy. They want to be Catholic. They want to be in the church. They want to be in communion with their bishop and with the Holy Father. Yes, there are extremists in, in this movement, uh, absolutely. Just as there are extremists in, in just every aspect of church life. Mm-hmm. And we can go to the, to the, this is more traditional conservative side, I think we can go to the left too, and the, and the, and the more liberal side of things, and, and see a lot of, uh, of, of dissent and division over there too. But it doesn't characterize this as a group in my mind. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm not concerned about it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I intend, I don't see it as divisive. I, I, I just don't see it as such. Yes, there are some exceptions, but let's not make the exception the rule mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. And, and so my intent is, is to be respectful of the Holy Father and his, his new directives, but also to use uh, the church's means that she provides me in law uh, to be, as I said, as generous and, and kind and merciful toward these good people as I can right. be. Absolutely. And I know what you've mentioned initially was there will be no immediate changes. No. And this is something that requires time, yeah, I'm gonna study, have to, I'm gonna, well, consultation. But, but, but before long, I'll issue some, a formal statement, a formal document, a form mm-hmm. my own law, if you will, of how we're going to handle this here in the Archdiocese of Portland. Very good. And we'll continue to pray for the efforts of that on behalf of all of our shepherds of the church, because it really is all of the shepherds whose hearts are there to lead the flock right into the heart of Jesus Christ. So we'll be praying for you and all of our bishops, Archbishop Sample. Would you please help us close this in prayer? And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon all of you, your families and loved ones, and be with you this day and forever. Amen. Amen. And thank you all for listening to The Voice of the Shepherd on Mater Dei Radio. We look forward to sharing with you again next week. For Archbishop Alexander Sample, I'm Dina Marie Hale, and until our next encounter, may you have a blessed week. You've been listening to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample, a production of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. To subscribe to this podcast and access to all of our past shows, visit moderndayradio.com. Please email your comments and questions for the show to info at archdpdx.org. Learn more about the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon online at archdpdx.org. Peace be with you.